When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential with Awards Watch Chief Editor Eric Anderson. Yay! Hello, hello, hello. So you haven't visited with me for some time. What's wrong? You're under a conservatorship, right? I'm a bad influence. Oh my God. Yes. Free Eric. <laughs> Blink yeah, if you need help. I know. It's been a while. Well, you know, we had all of the, the festivals and one that's still underway now. So we've just kind of been each all over the world, you know, trying to get things covered and see things. So it's, we are reuniting Yes, I'm so happy to see you. And I have a whole bunch of stuff I want to talk to you about. It's the endish of the festival season, not really, but it's mid-award season, the state of the industry. I want to talk about the Gyllenhaal siblings, who are just so hot, we need to talk about them. <laughs> we have to talk about licorice and pizza and movies we love and hate and all kinds of stuff. So are you ready? Ready. So I want to start with some a couple of things from this week. Some Trailers dropped from incredibly awaited films. One is the Adam McKay film, Don't Look Up, with some big stars. We have DiCaprio, we have Jennifer Lawrence in it, we have Meryl Streep, everyone's been waiting for this movie. And then the trailer dropped and everyone was like, what? Talk to me about this. What is this movie and what was the reaction? You know, it's it's been pretty mixed and that's kind of par for the course for Adam McKay. I don't think he has a movie that's really not been divisive as of late. I mean, just look at, at Vice itself and it was extremely divisive. How many times can I say Vice in one sentence? Um, <laughs> but not for the Academy. The Academy went in all in for it. And now we have Don't Look Up, which is by all accounts from what we've seen, including the, the clip piece that came out yesterday or yeah, yesterday, uh, it's high satire. Streep is playing a Trump style female president. It's, it, it looks like a lot. I mean, lot. I don't have, I don't have a lot of kind words for it myself, but there are a lot of people that really liked it. They thought it was really funny and that, you know, the editing was snappy and that's great. And that's, like I said, that's part for the course for Adam McKay now is, is creating these huge political satires that just are constantly trying to bend the rules of comedy and drama and where something fits in between, which I love conceptually. It's a great idea. I, I'm not, I don't really have high hopes for the film though, especially at the, the clip that came out yesterday, which I thought was absolutely horrid. It, there was something, I don't know how to say it, like uncanny valley-ish, but everyone looked really overly satirically made up. There was something about the look, the music felt like it was, should have been in some other clip. I don't, I, I, I kept thinking something was wrong with what I was watching. That's, and that's the, the weird thing is that even people that like the clip are like, I hope this isn't the music. And you know, this is, this is, these are all, everything that happened at the, I don't even know how you pronounce it, Tudum, Tudum, uh, the big giant, you know, Netflix live event, which was really fantastic and gave us so many first looks at so many things, uh, you know, Bridgerton and Bruised and I mean, so many things. So, you know, we're, we're watching these and anticipating new bits and pieces of information and video and everything. And then the, this clip came and it wasn't like it was, you know, a clip package from a whole bunch of scenes in the movie. This is one scene that 
was so weirdly edited and compiled and rushed. And I think that was the thing that that threw some people off is that, you know, even though McKay films have an enormous amount of editing, there there is a there is a symbiosis to it and a, and a and a meaning to it. And this felt very erratic and just kind of all over the place. And that, like that weird shot of Streep's fingernails. And but to your point about how they looked, I was trying to figure out if if this just looks like a oversaturated but flatly shot film, or if if it did look kind of weirdly over the top. I can't. It was I like a sitcom. Make... It looked like yeah. like 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 a sitcom, and it looked like well, the listeners go in and watch it, so and then keep continue listening. But but it looked like Jennifer Lawrence had her particular look in order to get a joke in about the dragon tattoo. It was like that's why she looks like that. It was just too easy, you know what I mean? And and sometimes, I mean, anybody that has ever written something creatively, sometimes you get bug in your head because you want a specific joke to land even though it has nothing to do with anything else and yeah you'll like define an entire character or moment around being able to get this line mm -hmm. but then at the same time the way that it, it came out and was read if it, it could have been ad-libbed it felt like a Jennifer Lawrence ad-lib with Jonah Hill but you don't, we don't really know, but it sort of felt like that, that whole back and forth between <laughs> them sort of felt like that, which I actually really hated. I thought her whole tampons in the purse thing was weirdly homophobic and just bizarre. I just don't know what's going on with this movie. Well, we'll have to reconnect about this when we've seen it, but it was very odd. It was one of the odder trailer that's come out at the moment but and then there's another trailer which i haven't seen because apparently it's only shown here and there but it's my most anticipated movie of the year and that's paul thomas anderson's licorice pizza i love this new name what do we know about this trailer and where is it being shown and why can't i see it well the name refers to uh records being called licorice pizza that is that is that was like a nickname and there was a record store in Los Angeles in the 70s so that's where that pulls from uh I saw the trailer I absolutely loved it yes it's it is extremely Paul Thomas Anderson it has elements of Lady Bird and Almost Famous and Boogie Nights oh. and it's funny as hell and super romantic um there is a there's a scene that's pulled right out of real life because there's a lot of elements of real Hollywood stories and life in in this movie, but it's Bradley Cooper trying to explain how to pronounce Barbara Streisand's last name, <laughs> which is pulled right from an interview that she did doing that exact thing with an interviewer where she spent like three minutes forcing him to say her name like over and over again. And it's absolutely hilarious. And the reason that we can't see it is because it's only going ahead of a few movies at New York Film Festival, right? No, it was playing in front of like uh, movies at the New Beverly in Los Angeles. So that was like a week ago, a week or two ago. So we're gonna get something soon. I mean, it comes out Thanksgiving. So we're gonna get something soon. So you haven't seen the movie or, or, but I mean, what are you thinking about? Could this be a Paul Thomas Anderson Oscar year? Well, almost every year is for him, at least, at least getting one, you know, it's almost, it's almost like in this era of Paul Thomas Anderson, he's, it's feast or famine. He's either going to get one or he's going to go all the way. And, you know, I was really pretty hesitant at first early early in predictions of just kind of what's going to happen with this and where is it going to go is it going to be inherent vice you know and get just a screenplay nomination or is it more phantom thread is it is it boogie nights and just kind of somewhere in the middle and i feel like the trailer makes the movie and i'm going to only use this word once because it's already being overused for a dozen <laughs> movies but it feels pretty accessible 
audience friendly and which phantom thread really wasn't no no not at all i mean the academy still loved it but it's not yeah phantom thread was not your your sunday blue hair matinee movie i think there's a lot of potential for licorice pizza if people can kind of get past the name because i think that's going to throw throw people off in, in a lot uh but you know well i do not not necessarily in a negative way but in an what the heck does this this mean is it is it funny is it serious what am i what am i about to see and acting wise i i i think i think bradley cooper makes the most sense um i've he's heavily featured in the trailer but i've also heard that it's a pretty small part but you know he's he's an eight-time nominee talk about you know it's something the academy loves he they love him and and so i i feel like that's a pretty safe bet cooper hoffman it's uh, philip seymour hoffman's son is the lead and we did finally in that trailer you know get an idea of what his performance is and what his acting is like and it's sort of like i guess i i hate to make the comparison but it's sort of like M- michael gandolfini mm-hmm. where you're it's going to be really, really difficult to look past. To not see their dads. Yeah. Physically, just emotionally. Um, but I really did like what I saw of him in it. It's very, I don't know, young guy coming of age kind of thing. I don't feel like he's going to, you know, be some kind of big awards magnet, but Oh, I can't wait for this one. Well, you were mentioning, yes, we've been gone. There's been a bunch of big festivals, Venice, you were in Telluride, New York. One of the things I'm really seeing coming out, there are so many stars this award season. Will Smith, George Clooney. Tell me a little bit about who you're seeing in award season for best actor and actress categories right now. Well, I did just do, I'm going to pull them up now. I just did my my acting predictions of this last week. And you're right. It is a very star studded season. And that's pretty clearly because so many big films, you know, were held off from 2020 and we got, you know, an Oscar season last year that was extremely indie. And, and and I think, I, I think that was always going to make the next year, look pretty wildly different in comparison but I'm not sure if it's that different because when I look at like best actor of the big movies like big studio movies you know we have Dune I don't think Timothy Chalamet is going to make really much of a dent there um Adam Driver and House of Gucci if that's a big movie but I've kind of dropped him down my list so what we have is, again, Bradley Cooper, big name, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in The Power of the Dog, and Denzel Washington in Tragedy Macbeth, just premiered, raves, 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 totally expected. I don't think anybody's surprised by that. That's Joel Cohen, Francis McDormand, and Denzel Washington doing Shakespeare. I mean, I mean... <laughs> just the gift to humanity (laughs) yes granted Shakespeare adaptations do not do very well with the Oscars and I think people might be pretty surprised by that but they're just they're not big uh winners there but the the big name and the big return and what is going to be one of the big movies is Will Smith and King Richard and that had its world premiere at Telluride, which was a bit of a surprise to me anyway. It seems more like a Toronto movie. And uh, Will Smith didn't even show up to Telluride, even though, like everybody else did for all of their movies. So that was a little odd. But he is now pretty much the favorite across the board to win. And, so you know, we're going to... Just for those who don't know, he, he's, yes. he's playing the father of Venus and Serena Williams. So the tennis father so to speak and 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 is it good i i think it's a great movie i i was really impressed and surprised to be honest um he's very good he's very will smith there's not you know he's 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 got the sort of stardom uh where you you're always going to see him you're always going to know that it's will smith Mm -hmm. 
um, which is fine. That's that's okay. There's George Clooney has sort of the same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like you can really love his performances, but you're it's always George Clooney in there. Which is, which is fine. Clooney yeah, which, which, <laughs> which is fine. Um, one of the things I really like about this category in this year is that, you know, if Will Smith and Denzel Washington are kind of like the, the number one and two battling it out, you know, they we're looking at, before. we're looking at 2001. Yes. And that's kind of cool. That went really well for Washington at the time. Yeah. And not, not so much for Smith. And I think the, I think it switched this time. You think so? So you have Will Smith at your at the top there. Yes, I I had had Denzel Washington, and this was you know before the festival started, and but Will Smith was number two for months, and you know when you're doing predictions for things you haven't seen yet, everything is like this is good on paper. We have to see what what the response is, and we have to see what how we how we feel about it. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't seen Macbeth yet, so I'm still pulling from reviews and and notices and all of that and I'll see it pretty soon but having seen King Richard I can I can see it just being such a a juggernaut with the academy and one of those what I felt like this year was going to be compared to next year and that is the return of the studio movie and I I think that's what we're going to see how odd that he didn't come and promote is there any explanation or you know, I didn't read too much into it. I don't know what else he's doing to, that would have kept him from it. And and maybe I just was overlooking that. But yeah, it does seem odd because, I mean, everybody was there <laughs> for yeah, their movies. Yeah, yeah. Everybody. Um, but it is going to be at AFI in November and he will 100% be there. Mm-hmm, okay. There's there's no way he won't. That's going to be a That's going to be a big event and a a really big after party and it's going to be all the major players will show up for it. So what about the women? It seems like Kristen Stewart is just a lock after the reception, both in Venice and Telluride for playing Diana Spencer and Spencer. I don't know how she couldn't be. I don't know how anybody with worth their prediction weight insult could not <laughs> have her in in the top spot right now and um it's it's the kind of thing even outside of of the performance in the film it's the kind of thing where i, I think people really want to see that they want to see somebody whose films and performances in the past have not been very well regarded until you know pretty recently and largely with critics only. So there's there's an appeal to that. There's an appeal to this sort of working their way from this billion dollar franchise uh, to more nuts and bolts kind from of Twilight acting. to yeah. her film. Absolutely. And she's and she's really made that that choice. So is Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, made every possible choice to except be... for Batman coming now. Yeah, it's <laughs> except for Batman, and it. I mean, something like that's it's like just so, a small exception. It's such a surprise, really, for him to to do something like that. I mean, the only the only thing that would have been more surprising is is like a you know a rom com with Jennifer Lopez or something. <laughs> but this the best actress category is pretty fascinating, and for me, it's extremely fluid. I made some dramatic changes from last month because. My top five were all biopics or, or, you know, actresses playing real people. Mm -hmm. And that just doesn't happen. I mean, three out of five nominees being real people is, is pretty common. Four out of five is extremely uncommon. I think it's happened once in the last 20 years. Uh, And five just seems like too risky a bet for me. Mm -hmm. So I moved a lot around. And I almost went on in the opposite direction because now my top five is all fictional characters, <laughs> except for Kristen Stewart. So, you know. Who's it's, in your top five? Uh, Kristen Stewart, Frances McDormand, Penelope Cruz, Kate Blanchett, and Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman for... Or the Lost Maggie, Daughter. Lost Daughter, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yes, Kate Blanchett for Nightmare Alley, but that's still a category position that's up in the air. Uh, Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers. 
Francis McDormand tragedy Macbeth, which some people think is a category that's up in the air. I do not, but that's me. <laughs> I mean, she could definitely be nominated, but could she win two years in a row? Well, of course, Francis McDormand, she could, but she could. I mean, lots of things could happen, yeah. but uh, again, to the Shakespeare point, the only time a actress has been nominated for best actress uh for a shakespeare adaptation was 1936 and it was murder lloyd that was a while ago (laughs) that was a long time ago there's that's a long time ago so anything actually that happens with Macbeth that is above the line categories is going to be a big deal and supporting actor and actresses that seems just crazy there's so many choices i was just thinking and there's so many choices of of what's come at these recent festivals but i was just thinking about a movie i saw at sundance and you saw too that i thought mass which was so incredible which seems like there's four actors there who easily could be supporting actors i i don't even know who we're talking about right now in these categories well i mean it was certainly a choice to to put them all supporting and there's another top film that that might happen in um but it's it's all going to depend on how how active each of these people are in the promotion of the film um and how active bleaker street who's uh distributing mass uh wants to focus their campaign and we've already honestly seen where that focus is this is we're recording this on sunday the 26th mm-hmm. there are three mass screenings in los angeles uh with q a's and they are only with ann dowd and martha plimpton right now and yes and there was one the other day that was just ann dowd so to me she is the main push anybody else kind of has to really get there on their own but Ann Dowd is going to be the, the main push. And then there's Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, which was a cr- tremendous hit um, in Toronto, and which also seems like there could be a lot of actors in particularly supporting. Am I, am I right? So that is one of the categories that is up in the air right now, uh, the, the placements, because there are some people that think that everyone's going to go supporting or that they were told everyone's going to go supporting. Uh, I'm working purely with the knowledge of what my conversations were and what I was told. And that is that Dench and Kieran Hines are supporting uh, Katrina Belf, Jamie Dornan, and the young Jude Hill would go lead. And that was to be, to get kind of as many nominations as possible rather than risk, you know, only getting one in each supporting category. And it could go a lot of ways because the kid really is the true lead. It is his story, which is the semi-autobiographical yeah, story of Kenneth Branagh. And it takes place in Ireland during the Troubles in 1969. And it's, other than that, then Balf has the biggest part and she is, you know, she is borderline lead supporting. I have her in sixth place in lead. If she were to be officially supporting, I would probably put her at number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jordan, I feel like is, he's great in it. I love him in it, but he would be sort of like an easy sacrifice um, versus Kieran Hines, who I think would have a really good chance if he was on his own. Now, Dornan plays Brodnick's father. Mm-hmm. There was, it was a, historic year in terms of women winning directors at all these festivals at Cannes at Venice um there's it's just been an incredible year for do you think that we will get another director in Oscar uh female director well I mean I think obviously Jane Campion is getting in I don't there isn't a scenario in which she is not either number one or number two uh through the whole season all the way up to Oscar night so she's definitely getting in again. And that will then make history as the first woman to be nominated a second time. So that will be really great. Um, I think we've got some potential, but 
as it happens almost, you know, every time that there are multiple women in contention, except for last year, which was an exceptional year, it's because we don't have any history to back up more than one woman getting in at a time, except for one year last year, last season. Um, What often ends up happening, whether it is, you know, awards groups or industry is that they feel like they have to coalesce around one so that it ensures that so their heads happening. don't explode. <laughs> well, I mean, more so that, so that they feel like they're, that the focus can be on one so that it actually happens and that there isn't a whole lot of like choices that have to be made. I'm not going to say vote splitting because that's not what this is. But I mean, obviously Maggie Gyllenhaal is really high up there now uh, with the Venice win and and just Netflix backing. I thought that was the the lost daughter, Maggie Gyllenhaal's uh, Elena Ferrante adaptation with Olivia Colman was one of my big favorites and surprises of Venice. I thought it was an incredible directorial debut. I so much want to see her nominated for this. She really deserves it. And for screenplay as well, which is what she won at Venice. But but I just think it was so well directed. Do you think you'll see any others from, from that movie in, in Oscar? Possibly. I really love the movie too. And I think I think Gyllenhaal is definitely getting uh, in for screenplay. She should be pretty locked in for the DGA first time director nomination too. And that will, you know, continue to boost that profile. As far as other actors, I mean, obviously Olivia Coleman as the lead is the most likely. After that, I would say Jesse Buckley who plays the younger version of Coleman. And I think she's outstanding. Her her ability to kind of mimic certain characteristics and behaviors from Coleman without it, you know, feeling weird and over the top was incredible. Uh, But I thought Dakota Johnson was great. It was one of my favorite things she's done. It took me a while to even figure out that it was her. She, I don't, she really gets surprisingly sort of disappears into this role which is not a role you really would disappear into but I thought she was so great she is great and she has that you know dark wig and her skin is super sun-kissed tanned and dark makeup and she just kind of is in there I thought she was great yeah I thought it was, I hope that that would be fun if she would get in there as well. And we have to see the Hall siblings on the red carpets because <laughs> the hotness of these two, <laughs> right? It's What's going unbearable. Jake is just like. Oh my God, that yeah. pink sweater photo shoot, absolutely just. This is GQ, right? One of the magazines. Style, it was Style, style. magazine. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> It was, I mean, I want all the outtakes. I want all of it. Bring it to me. And they were really great together at Venice because they, they, they were. were on the red carpet together. And and I always love how they support each other. And it's it's fantastic. You just want to see them everywhere. And and I mean, not that I don't think the guilty has his movie that he's promoting has any yeah. Oscar chances, right? I mean, even though it's a, pro, I, it's no, I don't, a very I, good I loved it. I thought it was very good and he's great in it, but uh, no, I'm not, I'm not really looking for that to, to do anything. Well, he better work supporting his sister then because we want to see him. <laughs> yep. All, all over the place. Now I want to talk to you about something that everyone hyped that we talked about so much last year. This, the musicals are coming, musicals are coming. This is going to take the Oscars. And it just seems like all these huge musicals are not really going anywhere. Dear Evan Hansen just really got terrible critiques. Um, we have In the Heights in earlier the Heights. in the summer was a critical hit and a box office failure. And I mean, you can blame the pandemic if you want, but other films have been hit. So I wouldn't do that. Uh, Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> um it went right to amazon the less said about that disaster the better um everybody's talking about jamie did have a small theatrical run and then hit amazon it's wonderful it's lovely uh but amazon gave it basically no attention certainly not the attention that they gave cinderella and it would have been 
beneficial if they had kind of swapped that. We might be, you know, talking about Richard E. Grant for, you know, a supporting actor nomination because we talked about that last year because that movie was supposed to come out last year and and he was certainly uh, on the the list as a as a contender, but I don't really think that's going to happen. Although there is an original song for for it, there is an original song in Cinderella and Dear Evan Hansen as well, because all of these you know musicals that have existing music or are previously you know adapted, they all want to get the nomination because they can't get one for the existing song so you get this brand new song thrown in there which most of the time always feels completely superfluous and really just for getting that nomination yeah yeah Les Mis did that and they got in it's almost every uh musical adaptation now will have an original song so that they can kind of squeeze in one more and of course, the piece de resistance here is that Spielberg's coming with West Side Story, which the trailer looks fantastic. And, and I mean, Spielberg is Spielberg, but the big question is sort of why? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that I guess is the big question. How do you think that's going to go? I feel like it's going to go pretty well. And it, it has obviously the, the, the best chance at being the most successful musical of the year. That's pretty much without question. And I think that was, would have been anybody's belief at the beginning of the year too. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious about it. The new trailer was really interesting because it, it almost made Tony seem like a cameo supporting player in this. And I think that's trying to do some very clever editing with Ansel Elgort and not focus on him as much as possible, which yeah, is, so you know, had some, issues and <laughs> that he has for sure and I, I think that's going to be something that will definitely come up when it when the press rounds come through because it it certainly hit in the heights in a way that was not expected uh obviously different things but there were you know issues of of casting and colorism and things like that 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 hit in the heights that I don't think uh they were expecting and but Ansel Elgort wasn't even in the first trailer. They were really hiding him in the teaser. Yeah, the teaser. Well, the, the, the teaser did a, a pretty good job of just kind of like compiling little bits and pieces, very little, almost no dialogue and just giving you those those familiar hints, because there are, there's a lot of the film that looks, you know, directly exactly like. Uh, the 1960s adaptation, even though this is supposed to be a, a different and new adaptation, it's it's not you know adapted from the the movie, but the original uh, musical. There's an updated book, which I think will have some uh, some different dialogue and some different lines, music lyrics too. So, and those are all been approved uh, by Sondheim, and so it's we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And talking about sort of PR that'll be coming down the line or press, uh, uh, Francis McDormand and, and Joel Cohen were asked a little bit about, you know, their many years work with Scott Rudin, who's mm-hmm. been accused uh, of bullying and is, you know, basically is out of the picture. Do you think that that's going to follow them around um, as they talk about Macbeth? I think maybe, but considering how they answered that question, especially how did McDormand. They it was really bristly. Um, honestly, I thought it was kind of funny. And, you know, that is not to diminish uh, Scott Rune's behavior in any way. Uh, but she was not, she was not here for that. And she was like, next question, are we talking about the movie? What is this interview? Keep moving on. Um, it was a pretty bad interview overall and less them and more the interviewer's approach it was just really kind of weird um but i don't think that they're going to i don't think they're going to go into any type of depth whatsoever and they will they will try and just kind of squash it and not talk about it and want to move on i mean i can see i could see francis mcdormand getting up from an interview and leaving if somebody keeps trying to push it. And how are they going to deal with Ansel? 
West Side Story. I mean, were well, they, did you interviews or what? I I I don't think that he's going to show up too much, and in that case, it kind of sucks because then the press will put it on all of the co-stars and everybody and everybody else around them, and it will be up to them to kind of answer and field questions that are not really their responsibility. Um, and, so I, I'm not sure. I don't know. It, it could be, it could be just a big nothing burger and mm-hmm. nobody, nobody asks anything at all. But I do think that press is getting a little more uh, feisty with, with their interviews. And I think it could mm-hmm. uh, show up in, in conversations, whether it's, you know, on the red carpet or like an in-depth interview but I'm not, I'm, I can't say, I'm not sure. And another sort of category this year is sort of camp or camp adjacent type movies. I mean, we're talking both the trailer for House of Gucci with those wonderful accents, which I'm very much looking forward to. I mean, um, Jessica Chastain and and the whole sort of look and feel of, of the eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, now, I really like this this uh, genre if we can call it that mm-hmm. um, tell me a little bit of, oh, how do you think people are going to go for these movies and Jessica Chastain in particular well I'm I love Chastain in Tammy Faye and I thought the movie was was fantastic I think people have a real audiences and viewers and even even journalists and, and critics have kind of a weird relationship with accents and, and actors. And it's it can be very, um, I don't want to say classist, but a little bit. Like if, you know, an American actor does a really lovely British accent, then it's, it's you know, an elevated performance and, and they think really highly of them. Mm-hmm. And then you have somebody like Chastain or even like McDormand and Fargo, do this upper northeast us minnesota type of accent and it's so easy to if if you come from the coasts or whatever uh to kind of mock it to see it and hear it as as mockery which really means you think that people that actually speak like that are to be mocked and that happens with southern accents too and we sort of we note we note accents like that as being less intelligent and it's just something that happens i it shouldn't but it is and so i think there i just think there's a weird relationship that that audiences have when actors do specific accents and and i i think that's how something like Chastain's is camp adjacent. Um, it's even if she sounds like her and she has so much of the cadence of Tammy Faye, which is pretty spectacular. Uh, and I do think that it's an outstanding performance. I absolutely love her in it, but I wonder how, how that will be read. If it'll be read like, you know, a serious actress doing something seriously or, or campy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you compare her chances to Kristen Stewart as Diana, well, that's kind of what I mean, right there. You've you've got somebody doing this this posh Diana accent, and that all that automatically elevates her as as a performer because of the accent more than than you would with somebody like I said from the south or north of. Uh, United States. So yeah. And then you go over to Lady Lady Gaga and everybody in in House of Gucci. Yeah, that's not <laughs> and it is. It's like, is she Russian? And what does she sound like? Yeah, and I'm like, have, you, have you have you like heard Patricia speak? Because that's what she sounds like. Um and and her her voice and her accent changed throughout. Yeah. This the is decades a anyway. Thing because this is speaking English is Italian. I mean, this is not even an accent that really exists. <laughs> Exactly. That's a, that is a whole nother thing with movies too, is when you have, and this is at the beginning of of time, when you have actors doing 
English language, you know, speaking of accents and and places where they would not be speaking English. So it's always weird. We're pretending to speak Italian. So we're speaking English or something. And it's even more weird and wacky when, when, uh, you know, a, a, a director chooses to stage a scene where you have people say speaking with Italian accents, but in English, and then you have other characters speaking uh, in Italian. Um, sometimes there is a, uh, again, sort of like a class issue. This is so funny that I'm thinking about this right now. Uh, we just did a rewatch of the HBO series Rome a few weeks ago, and there is a very clear separation of how we are supposed to understand characters because all of the main characters are Italian, but they speak with English accents, like pure, just British accents all the way. The servants and people less than them speak English, but with Italian accents. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And there is no other way to read that other than, than class. Um, and and I, think, I think that sometimes, again, this is shorthand that a movie has to use for an audience so that you don't you know, have to overly explain something. Uh, but at the same time, it's a, it's kind of insidious too. It is. That it happens. It's become like this unwritten communication between the audience and the movie makers. That's really should, we really should be changing this around. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to just end up our talk here today and ask you about what your personal favorites have been during this festival season and also your big, if you have any big disappointments that, you know, we've been talking about this past year and that you finally got to see. Let me see. Well, I loved power of the dog. Loved it. Um, And I, one of of the things that, you know, people I didn't mention from that is actually Cody Smith McPhee, who is so good. And what, a neat breakthrough for somebody that's, you know, still been working for a decade or something. But he's I, amazing. I, he plays Kirsten Dunst's son. Yes. And oh my it's God. he's just, really good. It's just a role with so many levels and you don't know where you have him. And all of a sudden it just switches and, oh, it's so good. Um, I think Mass is one of the best films of the year. I think it is perfectly performed. And I think the screenplay is, is absolutely among the best of the year. Uh, I loved the humans. I did not see the play. So my, my experience with it is completely the film, but I thought it was extremely cinematic. It was absolutely like a horror movie. Um, this is interesting. Talk, say the, the plot of that just briefly. Uh, so it's Richard Jenkins and Beanie Feldstein and Stephen Yeun and Amy Schumer and... June Squibb and Jane Hudichel, who's the only person from the play to, to, to be in the film. Uh, and so they're, they're moving, Beanie Feldstein and, and Stephen Yeun are moving to this apartment in New York City. And they're sort of just getting furniture in there and the family's all there together. So it becomes this, here's a whole bunch of big secrets and truths that are going to happen. And uh, there is a, they treat the house almost like this other character. It's breathing. It's like quite literally breathing. There are Mm -hmm. like big like air and water pockets in the walls and it looks just, it's extremely run down, but they move and there is just, it's very creepy. (laughs) It's it's wonderful. I thought it was outstanding. I think cinematography is, is amazing in it. Um, I really loved Belfast, like loved it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. Spencer, I could talk about Spencer forever and I could talk about it in the most grounded way that I can or the most hyperbolic way that I can <laughs> because I do think that Stuart gives one of my favorite performances of all time, like all time. Wow. You just, you just 
you hit the right note of person and performer, uh, of director and actor, where it, it would never you it would never be anything else again. Um, I, I thought she was. Oh, I thought stunning. she was amazing too. Amazing. I mean, I have a little bit of more issues with the movie itself, but she is not one of them. She's just fantastic. Um, God, what else did I like? Let's see. I mean, there's still some fun stuff that I haven't seen. I really liked Cyrano a lot. I thought it was really good. And I want Peter Dinklage to get nominated. Um, I loved Eyes of Tammy Faye. I really liked King Richard. Um, what else do we have? Let's see. Look at you, Judy Dench. Uh, Passing, which is going to have an, a new cut at New York Film Festival. So I'm, I'm anxious to see that again. Oh, really? The... A new cut? Because I saw that at Sundance. They're yes. changing it? Oh, really? Yes, I, I, did, I did too, but there will be a new cut. So I'll have to see if my eyes are strong enough to, to spot the differences. Um, I loved Come On, Come On. Oh, I thought that was wonderful. That's Mike Mills' new movie with the Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, yes, and Gabby Hoffman, who's wonderful. And that kid is amazing. Oh, my God, that kid's crazy. Precocious kids are like, you love them or hate them hate in them. movies, <laughs> you know? It's like, no kid talks like that. It's like, that's okay. It's a movie. <laughs> we love this one. He can talk how he wants. <laughs> it Totally. I love him. I think he's great. Um, I really love Coda. I think Coda is... is I love Coda, too. Coda is a great example of, and I know it's a French adaptation, but it's a great example of taking, I mean, really a very, very basic cliched story. And it is to its core, but it's so well done. It's beautifully shot. It's perfectly acted. And it's a unique version of this classic and cliched story of, you know, girl that wants to get yeah, if a classic and cliched story works and you're crying half the way through, then it's good. <laughs> if it works, it works. You can all, I mean, you know, the Shakespeare thing, there's only seven stories in the world. This is one of those stories. And it's, you know, it's a, a girl with a great talent that wants to get away from her small town and can't because her family keeps her there. And we've seen it a thousand times. But if it's good, it's good. What about disappointments? Anything you've seen so far that? You know, ultimately, like we were talking about before, it's been the musicals that have been disappointing so far. Um, I I did like, everybody's talking about Jamie. I thought it was pretty wonderful. Uh, I was not that impressed with In the Heights um, at all. I think Cinderella is one of the worst movies of the year. It's horrifically bad. I think Dear Evan Hansen is an absolute nightmare of a movie. Like bad dream paralysis demon nightmare. I absolutely can't stand it. Oh, and it just seems like they've there's so many they've made so many fundamental mistakes and it doesn't work in 2021, the whole sort of idea of the movie. There's so many levels that it seems to be a mistake. There's also and the fact a... that he he's 27 and <laughs> he's playing a teenager. I mean, that's just one of the things that makes it bad, but also the, the, the story it's, itself it's, it's, just does it's, feel so. There's, there's, there's often a strange translation between, you know, something that's had success on Broadway uh to to feature film i think it was i think it was one of the things that hurt in the heights is that it it's not it's not a musical where everybody knows the songs and you kind of go into it doing that and wanting to sing along i think dear evan hansen has more of that but clearly not enough because it was did pretty poorly at the box office this weekend as well. I think something like West Side Story is that kind of musical where you know these songs and everybody for the last 50 years has. So it has a familiarity oh, I can, that- I can do the snaps. There. I know every- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so if something like West Side Story can't be a success and a pretty big one, then it's almost like what possibly can? Because we've got Wicked coming down the line uh, like next year. So how's that, how's that going to turn out if we've had a year full of huge musical flops? Yeah. 
That's and there's Sean Tick, 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 Boom coming. We did not mention that Tick, Tick, Boom, which is also going to be at AFI. And that is Andrew Garfield. It's Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, directorial debut. And that to me is feels like it's going to fall into that same category where it's it's about the guy that that created rent but it's like who knows who knows the songs in this nobody knows no one can sing along yeah so i think it's it's, that too that too um so i think that's i think that's always going to be a struggle and speaking of rent when that movie adaptation came out that was a big flop too Mm -hmm. you just it's it's really difficult. I think there's almost a better chance for original musicals than there are adaptations now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. unless you're like a Chicago. But you know, that could have been a flop too. Yeah, but it wasn't. But the original musicals, as you were saying, then no one knows the songs, and then they flop for that reason. I think that is the 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 bigger reason is just the lack of familiarity, and also too it's not, you can't put the blame on the film. You have to put the blame too on the audience for having a lack of adventurousness to go and see it and to be like, oh, I really like this musical. I'm going to go and get the soundtrack now. And I'm going to, you know, watch uh, videos on YouTube of it or something like that. You have to have an adventurous audience too, not just an adventurous movie. It's a really difficult genre at the moment. I mean, I think it seems like almost like when a TV series does a musical bottle episode, that goes really well because it's a fun little short thing, but but mm-hmm. it's hard. It feels like it's James Corden is still the last bastion of Oh my god. I I mean, if there is like one if I if I had to to focus on one thing that has ruined the movie musical, it is absolutely right? James Corden. And if he's in Wicked, forget it. Flop. Done. Yeah, we didn't even talk about Cats last year. No, we're going to speaking of Speaking of musical flops of one of the biggest, you know, musicals of all time. Phantom of the Opera 2. Phantom of the Opera. Biggest musical of all, all time. All time. Everybody in the damn world has seen it from all over the place. Flop. People just don't care. Well... Eric, this is always so much fun to talk to you. And I hope we're going to, as uh, let's talk after licorice pizza. Yes. And let's talk about it a lot. <laughs> yes. Which, you know, I think it's, I think it's November 24th or something like that. It's, there's a lot of things coming out at, at Thanksgiving. So we'll, we'll get something on it soon and we'll, we'll see it soon. We're already at the end of September. So yeah, well, I can't wait to talk to you again and follow up. Let's not take as much time as we did this time around. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.